0: tonight is is when we do our lord's supper and jason Husser is a is a friend he is a new friend for our family uh he is the son of francis who has a home group there in heath texas and um uh, we got to 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 meet him and and he really has a passion for uh he's going to call it communion we call it the lord's supper it's the same thing um and and he uh has such a passion that we have asked him to share with us tonight. So Jason, would you, would you lead us in our Lord's supper this evening?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I, I love every time I do this with believers, uh, I don't really know or are just meeting or anytime you get to do it with believers, it just has that early church feel to it. Cause they, they literally went from house to house and they broke bread and, Part of that was Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper, um, so it just has that amazing early church uh, feel to it. So, I'm just gonna read uh, a few scriptures and then kind of just go with the prayer, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm gonna read uh, first passage. I'm gonna read out of Romans chapter eight, starting at verse thirty-eight. For I am sure. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. And for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory may grant you to be strengthened with all the power through his spirit in your inner beings. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth, What is the length? What is the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And then John 6, 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in you. Whoever feeds on my bread will live forever. So Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to not just do this in remembrance of you, but also acknowledge the power of your resurrection. And Father, I thank you, Lord, there's no greater example that we can hold in our hands, but this is the greatest example of love. Lord, we just thank you for the bread We thank you, Lord, it's what sustains us, it's what gives us strength. Lord, it's what brings us healing, it's what makes us whole, but most importantly, Lord, it's what gives us life. So Father, over over us today, over our group, Lord, over our family members, Father, we just proclaim that healing, Lord, that you took upon your body for us, so by your stripes we are healed. So Father, I proclaim that over each and every single person here, the promise, of this bread, the promise of this body, Lord, that when we take it, we're taken in healing, we're taken in wholeness, we're taken in life. You may take the bread. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, I thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. Father, I thank you. It's what washed us, it's what cleansed us, it's what set us free. Father, I thank you that this is what paid all our debts. Father, I thank you. And he that the Son sets free is free indeed. And Father, I proclaim that over each one of us tonight. Lord, over John and his teaching. Father, over our family members, our friends, our loved ones, our co workers. Lord, the network of people that is connected to, the stream that comes out of all of us, Father, that goes into the world. Father, I say, Lord, over our family members, over our friends. Father, he that the Son sets free is free indeed, Father, and I proclaim that promise over them. So Father, as we take this, we take this for our families. We take this for our co-workers, We take this for our loved ones, Lord, that you set us free. So Father, thank you for the blood. You may take the cup. And Father, I just want to say thank you so much. It is finished. And Lord, I just say in Jesus name, amen. Amen. So thank you, Jason. Thank you for, uh, oh, I
0: think, I think that, yeah, I think you can unmute her. Thank you. I just, while he was doing communion, uh, was just pressed upon my heart to tell you that um, these small groups is really the Father's heart. And and where two or more gathered together. So don't look at the numbers because it's not just the people in this group, but it's in all of our spheres of influence As we strengthen and grow in the Lord, everybody that's around us gets that, you know. So I just had that pressed on my heart while he was doing communion. I wanted to share that with you. Amen. Thank you very much. And thank you, Jason. That was awesome. Appreciate it very, very much. Now everybody understands why I wanted him to share uh, the Lord's Supper with us. So uh, tonight we're going to be continuing... Uh, Our our study through the book of Acts, we're going to be in the latter half of Acts chapter 12, and the the title of tonight's lesson is A Bad Way to Die, and I know it sounds very ominous, and we're going to find out what that means in just a minute, but Gina, if you are with us, could you pray us in this evening? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We come into your presence, God. We thank you, God, for this time together. We ask and invite you, mighty Holy Spirit. We ask you, God, to come into this Bible study. And God, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds so that we could receive the word of God and be changed into the
1: image of your son in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. All right. So tonight we're going to be, like I said, in Acts chapter 12. We're going to start in the second half of verse 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can get ready. Um, I'm going to, before we get to that verse, I want to remind you of someone in history and of the country of Italy during World War II. And, um, that war obviously, uh, Although it started well for the Italians, it certainly did not finish well. And um, just two days before Hitler uh, committed suicide and it was clear that the axis, the German, Italian, Japanese uh, uh, side was going to lose. The Italians arrested Benito Mussolini and they, they brought him before a firing squad. And of course, they uh, they took his life via firing squad. and. What was interesting was the the people wanted vengeance, Um, and so they took him into a courtyard in uh, kind of a town square, and they actually hung him up over a service station, and they hung him from a girder, um, and they hung him from his feet upside down, and then the local people came with sticks, and they literally beat his... Now, remember, he's dead already, right? He's already been killed by the firing squad, so they... They literally beat his dead body, they hit him with hammers, Um, they even shot him with guns, but of course he was long since deceased, Uh, but that was the Italian people's way of of trying to get vengeance um, on Benito Mussolini for what they had felt, uh, you know, was his, uh, I guess, poor leadership, right, Um, and, and what he had done during World War II and the atrocities that he had committed. So I think that you'll see in a, in a few minutes how that ties into tonight's lesson. We're going to be, like I said, in Acts chapter 12. Now I'm going to read verses 19 through 25. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod wearing his royal robes sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. All right, so I wanted to break these down a little bit. If you remember last week, we learned that uh, Herod, uh, Herod Agrippa I, he, the Herod, had tried to um, make an alliance with the Jews that were in power, And that's why he arrested uh, James and assassinated him, obviously uh, beheaded him. That's why he arrested Peter. And then Peter, of course, we learn the miraculous story of the prison break and Peter being set free. So that's the then Herod went from because he had been in Judea when uh, when that story took place. And now he's moved on to Caesarea. But here we see he's, you know, he's having this uh, more more issues with his neighbors, more issues with other um, countries, other powers in the region, uh, and he's he's trying to push his political career to a new level, uh, and that's just, this is a continuation of that attempt, you know, he's trying to, to get favor with these other nations, but the real crux of this story happens in verse uh, 21 and 22, where Herod, you know, you can imagine him all decked out. He's got his his royal robes on. I'm sure he had a lot of people around him. He had, I'm sure it was quite a spectacle as he sat on his throne. And I'm sure his public address was very self-serving. We don't know what he said that day. Uh, but I think based on his behavior and what we know about him, that we can probably safely say, you know, he probably talked a lot about himself. Um, and he probably promised a lot of stuff that was never going to happen. And it's interesting because the people respond in a very unique way. The scripture records in verse 22 that they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Now, we don't know. It could have been that they were being facetious, uh, but I don't think so. I think probably it's more um they were trying to uh patronize him or to uh to give some false accolades i don't know if you've ever seen the videos of uh uh, the leader of north korea but anytime anybody sees him any of the citizens of north korea sees him it's as if they have seen you know elvis or the beatles you know remember the videos from the 60s where the young girls would just "Ah!" you know just cry and all that they they almost go crazy in North Korea when they see their leader. And I have a feeling that this was something like that. I think they were afraid of this man. He certainly had a a reputation for being very cruel. and so they were giving him kind of false accolades trying to to to, you know, gain favor with him, ironically. And then in verse twenty three, we're told that Herod didn't give praise to God. In other words, Herod should have said, hey, I'm not a God, I'm just a man. But that's not at all who Herod was. He very much, uh, I'm sure, loved the attention he was getting. And because of that, God sent an angel and that angel of the Lord struck him down. And then it says he was eaten by worms and died. And that's what I want to talk about just a little bit more. So I think sometimes it gets confusing here because it sounds like the angel killed him on the spot that is not what happened. The angel struck him down. The angel sealed his fate. The angel did not kill him on the spot. And if you'll notice, it doesn't say he died and was then eaten by worms. It says he was eaten by worms and died. Now, the scripture doesn't record how long that took, but um, I'm going to go a little bit Extra biblical on you. In other words, I'm going to give you a reference that's not from the Bible. There is a Jewish um, uh, historian named Josephus. He is the most respected Jewish historian in history, and remember I'm saying Jewish, not Christian by any sense of the imagination. He was not a Christian, he was a Jew, but he actually records this event in his chronicles, uh, and according to Josephus, Five days passed before Herod died. So what Josephus recorded was that he gave this speech and immediately doubled over in pain with some kind of a stomach issue. Um, You know, we don't know what kind of worms. It could have simply been a parasite um, that that the angel struck him down with. But whatever it was, it was alive. It was inside him and it took him five days to die. So you thought it was bad before. Now you know it was a lot worse even than it sounds. This was a very, very bad way to die. But why did he die? What was the purpose of his death? And I do think that, uh, obviously, to to a large degree, God was making an example of him, especially as Herod himself elevated, at least in his own mind, uh, himself to the same position as God. But what he really did was he broke the first commandment and the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's Exodus three, three. And I thought this would be a really good time for us to spend a little time in the commandments, because I don't think, especially for those of us who don't have a Jewish heritage or don't spend a lot of time in the old Testament, I'm not sure how great a grip we have on the Ten Commandments. And, you know, one of the things that Jesus did while he walked here on earth was he really helped clarify and illuminate the heart of God as it pertains to the commandments. Um, I think if you would have asked a Jew pre-Jesus about the commandments— he would have said they were quite literal. Uh, so for example, one of the one of the commandments is thou shalt not murder. And we'll we'll talk about that one in a little bit. And he would have said, Look, if you don't physically murder anyone, you haven't broken any rules, you haven't broken the law. But Jesus really helped us to understand why God put these in place and 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 that they had more meaning than just the literal, um, maybe translation of the commandment so let's take this one for example you shall have no other gods before me now obviously um this was a pagan culture they literally had other gods just as our earth does today right we have um we have hindus that worship a whole myriad of gods many 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 thousands i've heard even over a million different gods um, although they have some that are quite high ranking if you would uh, you also have uh, the Muslims who uh, worship uh, Allah, who, and that is not, by the way, although it has a lot of similarities to Judaism, it is not the God that we worship. And there's obviously many other, you know, there's Buddha and many other gods. Um, and at this time period, there are a lot of uh, of gods, you know, the, the Roman gods, you've got, you know, Zeus and, and, and the Greek gods, and, and, you know, we've got all these figures, these statues, if you would. Um, that we remember from history. But God is really serious about this. He's like, hey, you shall have no other gods before me. Oh, by the way, that includes you. You will not put yourself at a level higher than me in your life. And that's what Herod Agrippa I, who died such a terrible death, that's that's really the, the crime he committed, is that he elevated himself above God. Now, you've probably heard it in church. We also um, do, these, uh, do these things we call making idols of things or people. And, and I think it's a good segue. I'm going to go ahead and roll into the second commandment. Because the second commandment, we have a tendency to just kind of skip over. You shall not make for yourselves a graven image. Now, this also, of course, was literal, right? He didn't want you worshiping the image of, you know, of a horse that you had carved out of gold or wood or whatever, and it was commonplace in this culture to do so. It is commonplace in our culture to have images of the gods that are worshipped. If you ever go into a Buddhist home, you are very likely to find a Buddhist statue, right? So this is not unheard of in our culture, but for those of us who grew up even if we didn't grow up in a Christian home, we, we grew up in maybe a Christian community, we don't typically find graven images um, in our homes or in our workplaces of our gods, not even not even Christ himself, right? We typically don't see a, a statue of Jesus um, in someone's home, and that is a whole other discussion, but there is more to this commandment than just making an image uh or a statue so unfortunately one of the things we do is sometimes we put stuff ahead of god sometimes we make idols out of things like our career or our relationship with our spouse or our children um i i have even seen uh, people who are so very excited about committed to the their favorite sports team then i can make the argument that they've made an idol out of uh, and i'm just going to use them as an example out of the dallas cowboys and or, or you know um you know a particular football player or a basketball player or something like that where honestly we care more about the cowboy game on sunday than we do about going to church or uh, and that's kind of the breaking point where do you you know, where do you put them in your priority list? If making sure you get to the game is more important than making sure that you do the right things, that you go to church, that you love others, that you make disciples, if the football game is more important to you, wow, you've made an idol out of it, right? Uh, And I could even make the argument that if you've got, I don't know, maybe a cool jersey in your living room from your favorite cowboy, you know, this I think that, that if Jesus were standing here, he could make the argument. So what's the difference between the carved horse and the Jersey on the wall? And it's something I think for us to really think about um, because we do this a lot. Um, and it, not so much with the Cowboys. Um, but what I'm talking about is we do this with things and people. Um, I, I could certainly say in my own life that there was, there was a point in my life where my career was more important to me than my relationship with God, and that's a problem. I had made an idol of my, my career, okay? I hope that makes sense. Please feel free to contact me if you're not sure what I'm talking about. Go to steeplelesschurch.com, make an appointment, send an email. I would love to to dig into these deeper, all right? Um, the third commandment is an interesting one. It's another one I think we have a tendency to maybe skip over just a bit. It is you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, typically, when we think about this, we think about using, um, uh, using kind of God's name as a curse word. Um, uh, for example, we might say, oh my God, right? Um, and, and we're not saying it in any way reverent to God. We're just, we're taking the Lord's name uh, and using it as a, you know, as, as sometimes it's a curse word even, right? We, and I'm, I'm not cursing right now, but we might say Jesus Christ um, and use it as a curse word. Certainly that is um, breaking the third commandment. That is part of what this commandment is about. But there's more to it than that. The way this really translates is to take the power away from the Lord's name. And any time we use God, the Church, our faith, in a way um, verbally that is disrespectful to God, is um, makes God look impotent in any way. Quite frankly, we're taking the Lord's name in vain, based on the heart of what God intended for this commandment. So I think we need to be quite careful about this one uh, because culturally we just throw the names of God around. You know, we, we throw the name of Jesus around. Um, we, we literally take faith things for granted and we and we just sort of use them in regular conversation and we don't give them the gravity the weight that they deserve uh the truth is that god's name is powerful god's name is 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 sacred it is holy and we need to treat it that way there are there are some things you uh you know you just don't do right like if you might be a jokester but you don't make a joke Uh, You know, from the pulpit at a funeral, you just don't do it. This is one of those things when, when it comes to how you respect the Lord, God, anything that has to do with him, you just need to take a, take a step back, take a breath and really um, keep it sacred, right? Don't, don't throw it around uh, flippantly because that's taking the Lord's name in vain. All right, the fourth commandment. And you'll notice the first four all deal with kind of how we relate to God and how, how man and God get along together. The fourth one is remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, I love the way God worded the fourth commandment. He didn't say just take the day off. It's not what he said. He said, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The word holy literally means set apart. Keep it different. Keep it set apart from the rest of your week. Um, Now, we know that after Jesus lived and died and was resurrected, uh, in the most technical sense, we have been lifted from keeping a Sabbath. We don't have to keep a Sabbath day. However, uh, one of the, one of the great quotes in the Bible is that, um, that people weren't created for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for the people, right? It was created for us. It's a gift to us. And when we remember the Sabbath day, and and this is something that I have been very lax at through my life and recently have taken it a lot more seriously. And wow, has it made a difference. Um, it is a blessing. It is a gift that God gives us when we get to take a day and just focus on him, focus on family, focus on the word. Uh, it really makes a difference. And what's amazing is if you take that day and this was the, this was the little secret. If you take that day and get recharged, you're going to be more effective in the other six days anyways. Right? So, uh, <laughs> Even though you're taking a day off you're, you're going to get more work done than if you hadn't so i want you to think about that um and this will kind of be the first question of the night was as you're thinking about those first four commandments is, is there any one of those that really stands out like yeah maybe that's something i need to think about maybe that's something i need to work a little harder on all right as we keep moving now you're going to find the next six commandments have to do with the way not we relate to God but how we relate to each other and the first one is honor your father and mother and this is an interesting one because there are many people who struggle with their parents and notice it doesn't say um you know be a, a a whipping block or something like that for your mother and father. It doesn't say do whatever they say, no matter what they say. It says honor your father and your mother. Um, And honoring someone while difficult is very possible. You can honor your father and your mother regardless of the relationship that you have. You can still do the right things. You can still reach out to them. You can still um, be respectful to your parents, regardless of how they treat you back, right? Um, and this is the first uh, commandment, like I said, that deals with how we work with one another. And it's also the only one that has a blessing attached to it. Uh, and I'm gonna paraphrase here, but Exodus 3.12 basically says, hey, honor your father and your mother. And if you do, you're gonna have a good long life. Uh, and that to me is a is a nice blessing. And, and it, what it tells me is this is important. To God, you know, we talk about marriage as being an illustration of, or a uh, a way for other people to see the relationship between Jesus and the church. In other words, the way we interact as husband and wife uh, is a is an example for people who don't yet know Christ to see how Jesus and the church are supposed to work together. How we and Jesus are supposed to work together. Well. That is your mother and father. They are a married couple. This is a this is a really big deal to God. The family unit is very very important. Okay. All right. So I want, for the sake of time, to keep moving. And we get to the sixth commandment, and this is the one everybody says, "Oh, at least there's one. At least there's one that I haven't done. You shall not murder." Well, okay. So a couple things. First of all it's really important to understand what the word murder means in the original Hebrew. <clears throat> the word murder means to take someone's life, um, not out of self-defense, not in war. It literally means basically to go commit first degree premeditated murder. Um, you, you will not go and kill people who don't deserve to be killed. That's kind of what murder means. Um, it does not pertain to war. So there are a lot of people who think thou shalt not murder means that I can't be, serve in the military, for example. Um, it is a totally different word to kill someone in battle in the Hebrew language, and it is not murder. Okay, so it, and this doesn't really matter what you think about um, going to war, not going to war. That's not really what I'm talking about. I just want to make sure you understand God's intent for this commandment is you shall not murder. Okay, and that doesn't include people that you would theoretically kill in warfare. And it does also not include um, defending yourself. Someone breaks in your house uh, and tries to hurt you, tries to do something terrible to your family, and you kill them. That is not murder. It's not the same word in the Hebrew language as this word murder. Okay, so I just want to make sure that we're really clear on that. This is, you you often hear this um, quoted as thou shalt not kill. And I think that's really confusing because it's really not that it's, you should not, don't go commit first degree murder. Don't go premeditatedly kill someone. That's what God's saying not to do. Now, here's, that was the easy part. Now for the hard part, Jesus, while he walked with us said, hey, so, if you've ever gotten angry with someone and hated them, you've committed murder. In other words, if you've thought about killing someone, you've actually broken the sixth commandment, and that's a tough one, right? Um, I don't know too many people who have uh, not who have not gotten angry. I mean. I'll be honest. I've done it on the road. I've done it driving my truck. Right? Somebody does something. Um... Oh, okay. So, uh, thank you. I was just told that I pulled up the wrong. These aren't Exodus three. They're all in Exodus twenty. Thank you very, very much. Um, but I've, I've certainly committed murder before. Now, I've never, I've never physically taken anyone's life in any way, shape, or form. But I've done it in my mind. And according to God, according to Jesus himself, I've committed murder. So I have broken the Sixth Commandment simply by thinking about killing someone in my mind. All right. The next one. You shall not commit adultery. So obviously this at least partially pertains to... People who are married. And that means that if you are married, if you're a man married to a woman, you will not go sleep with another woman. It definitely means that if you're a woman, you shall not go sleep with another man. Um, it also crosses over into unmarried situations. In other words, if you're single and you sleep with a married woman or a married man, You just committed adultery. It wasn't just the married person that committed adultery. You, by sleeping with a married person, has committed adultery. Okay? And if you've ever desired to sleep with a person who is married, or if you are married and you have desired to sleep with someone else, guess what? Bad news. (laughs) You have committed adultery in your mind, and according to Jesus, that's just as bad. Now, why would that be? Why would he care what we think? I mean, I certainly understand why God would care about committing adultery, right? If you commit adultery, you're going to destroy, at least emotionally, you're going to destroy your spouse, right? You're probably going to blow up your family. Um, You know, you're going to You're going to cause shame on your family and your community. There's all kinds of bad things that will come from physically committing adultery. Why does he care what you think? Why does he care whether you, you know, what's the big deal? So I looked at another lady a little too long or, you know, had a look. Why does he care? He cares because first of all, those thoughts are for your spouse god created sex specifically to be a very very special gift to be shared between a husband and a wife committed to one another for a lifetime one man one woman forever and it was only created for them and so you're literally stealing those those things from your spouse when you're when you're thinking about others and let's face it if you think too much about it you're setting yourself up to commit the sin anyways because we know that sin starts in the heart right and and, and or in the mind and as it as it develops it become we start thinking about it it becomes uh, like just like a sickness it it becomes like a cancer and eventually unfortunately. Um, we end up in the sin itself. So God doesn't even want us to go there. He doesn't even want us tempted by it. We need to stay away from it. And so when we do have those thoughts, we need to repent just like we had committed adultery. And that's the key here. It's obviously, it's not going to send you to hell, but it's going to cut off your communication with God. So you need, when you've done that, when you have stepped out of line and committed adultery in your mind, It means it's time to go to God and go, you know what? I know I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And I repent. I'm going to turn away. I'm going to figure out a way not to do this. Okay. So moving on eighth commandment, you shall not steal. So that means none of you have ever even, you know, like picked a grape in the grocery store um, and eaten it without paying for it. Right. Or what about when the guy behind the counter um, gives you $1 extra when he gives you your change? Do you go back in? Did you go back in? Have you ever stolen? What about um, how about this one? How about your taxes? Were you 100% honest with the government about every single penny? Did you pay every penny of your taxes or have you ever maybe slightly exaggerated your mileage, for example. Could it happen, right? There is no too small a steal. <laughs> there's there is no limit. There's no like grand theft, you know, small theft. You either have stolen or you have not. And I, if you have never stolen anything, then you're probably the first person I've ever met who's never stolen anything. And again, it's about your heart when we start taking things that don't belong to us, what we're really doing, what we're really doing, and I want you to hear me on this, is we're slapping God in the face. God, everything you have given me, I know you've given me my health, I know you've given me my spouse, you've given me my home, you've given me my car, you've given me my job, you've given me all this stuff, but that's not good enough for me. I need more. I need that grape. I need $27 from the IRS. I need whatever it is. I'm going to take it from someone else because God, I don't, I'm not happy with what you've given me. Now, my guess is that you may have never thought of it that way. Most of us, I don't think, think of stealing in that way. But I think that's exactly how God sees it. And I think that's one of the reasons it made the top 10 here. It made the the 8th commandment is you shall not Steal. Okay, we're getting close. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness. So this is a term that we don't use a lot, Um, but what this basically means is you won't lie about what somebody else did, and we can just kind of break this down and just say, yeah, you're not supposed to lie. I mean, that's really what the ninth commandment is, is you're not going to lie about anything to anyone. Now, this is another one of those, if you have literally gone through your whole life without lying, um, that would be a pretty unique thing. I, I don't think that there are many on this Zoom that can say that. But it's another one of those, you know, why does it really matter? It matters because we, again, we are supposed to keep ourselves holy. We are supposed to be set apart. We are supposed to be living as priests for Jesus. We're supposed to be the example. And there is no excuse to lie. You know, well, you know, I thought it would just hurt their feelings. That's that's not an excuse. And so many times we use it. Now, it doesn't mean you have to say something you can obviously in most cases just keep it zipped not say anything if it's really gonna hurt their feelings try not to say anything at all right but this is this is a really this is another big one because when we start to lie we let those little lies turn into well i can kind of sort of justify it lies and then they get a little bigger we have to stretch a little more to justify it and they get a little bigger and a little bigger and pretty soon our heart is dark and we're not telling the truth about anything so there's a reason this one made the top 10 list the ninth commandment is you shall not bear false witness all right 10th commandment you shall not Covet. Again, a word we don't use much. We don't, I can't remember the last time outside of church, I heard anyone say the word covet. What this word means is you won't be jealous of other people's stuff. Okay. You're not going to want their stuff. Now that includes their house, their car. Um, It includes uh, their wife. It includes their kids. It includes the vacation they went on. You won't be jealous of how other people live, how the stuff that they have, because here's the thing, God gives to each of us. And we make the mistake of thinking, that guy, Bob, he's got more than I have. Well, first of all, that may or may not be true, especially the way we throw credit around in this country, but God has given Bob whatever Bob has. Even if Bob's not a believer, God's in control of all that stuff. And he's in control most specifically about what you have. And again, if you're worried about keeping up with the Joneses, if you're worried about the bigger house, the bigger car, the nicer clothes, and it's, again, becoming a thing for you, So much so that you're jealous of others and what they have, then what you're really saying to God is, you know, I just don't appreciate what you've given me. I don't appreciate the fact that you have supplied all of this amazing stuff around me. And the truth is, nobody in this country should ever complain about how we live. Even the poorest of us uh, live much better than most of the world. But really, that. That's not even so much the issue as do you really love what God has given you? Do you really appreciate what God has given you? Or are you jealous of what God has given someone else? All right. So, you know, earlier we talked about how Benito Mussolini, um, did those terrible things, and the people of Italy wanted to take their vengeance out on him. And the truth is, comparatively speaking, we can't do anything the way God can. God says, vengeance is mine. When people do stuff that I have a problem with, I'll take care of the problem. And he certainly took care of the problem when it came to Herod. Right? That is a terrible way to die. And it's certainly much, much worse than anything the Italians could have done to Benito Mussolini. But this is such a strange lesson tonight. It's such a strange passage of scripture because it seems so dark and it seems so heavy. But the truth is, just like this photograph, there is light in this passage. Because the cross reminds us that as broken as we are, as much as we ourselves have done the same things that Agrippa did, and that we deserve the horrible death just like Agrippa got, Jesus stands between us and that punishment. That cross is the reason that we will never suffer that eternal separation from God. Like Agrippa is right now, forever in hell, we will be forever in heaven. And even though our salvation is secure, if you're a believer today, you will be in heaven at some point, whenever God chooses to bring you home. But that doesn't mean that we won't need some discipline along the way. And just as children need discipline when they're young, but as they grow older, hopefully, they need less and less discipline. That should be the way it is with us. As we learn more and more about the God who created us, the God who loves us, the God who sacrificed himself on the cross for us, as we become more like him and pursue him and imitate him, hopefully we'll step out of line less and less. So let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we, wow, we thank you. We thank you for such a dramatic illustration of what we all deserve. We all deserve horrible punishment for the things we have done when we just wanted to live our lives the way we did, we wanted to make ourselves God. We wanted to do what we wanted to do. And we didn't, we didn't care what you wanted, God. And even with all of that, you sent your son. And your son paid the price for all our sins. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for paying that price For those of us who follow you, we know we will be with you forever. There are no words. We can't say thank you enough. But we appreciate you and we love you. And we want to do your will. So Lord, help us. Help us to be stronger, to be better, to follow in your footsteps so that we don't need, we don't need your spankings. Let us, let us see with our own eyes and understand with our hearts what we deserve and what we've been spared from so that we can save others from that same fate. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All, all right. So what? Now what? This is, uh, this is one of those what are you going to do with it moments. I'm curious, as you went through the Ten Commandments, uh, were there any of those that kind of maybe grabbed you? Uh, It would be really interesting, um, I think, for most of us to, to really buckle down and see if there's any of the Ten that we haven't broken. But what's more important is, where are you now? You may have stolen in the past. You may have committed adultery in the past. You may have committed murder, maybe the real thing in the past, but... Where are you today? Where does God want you to focus your efforts today? Which of his commandments did he set on your heart over the last half hour? And that's what I want you to think about. If there's one of them that really has has grabbed you, then I, I, I encourage you to spend some time there, spend some time in prayer, figuring out how do I make this better? How do I follow God more closely? And for those of you who who aren't followers yet, who don't don't yet know the love of Jesus, I would love for you to contact us through the website again at steeplelesschurch.com. You can make an appointment on the Connection Cafe. Uh, Many of you on on this Zoom right now know my number. You're welcome to text me. I would love to have that conversation because Jesus is calling and he wants you to come home. Thank you for spending
1: time with us. We love you. We'll see you next week. Take care.